What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Modern Commerce. Got an exciting episode, some marketing tactics for you today, some content. We're going to talk a little bit about content marketing, doing a little content marketing discussion. Myself and my beautiful, lovely co-host, Casey. How often have you been described as lovely? Not enough, John. That, that that was, right was that the first time? Uh, that Probably not the first time, but I mean, there's a void in my Is life. Yeah, like it's single words. digits. It's single digits. Yeah. For sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, uh, we are going to get into some content marketing. Uh, going to talk about which platforms you should actually focus on for content marketing efforts to drive qualified leads and sales into your business, uh, which ones you shouldn't focus on. And I don't know, we'll come up with some kind of like a little hot take, a little debate, how, how authentic you should be on these platforms. But first, we have a quick word from today's episode sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Reconvert, a Shopify app that will instantly help you increase your average order value. So after somebody places an order, they pay now. My order's being processed. The number one way that we have found to increase average order value is the post-purchase one-click upsell, which looks just like this. After somebody buys, you make them another offer. And if they take it, it is instantly added to their order. Best way to increase AOV. That's true, John. But it's not perfect for every brand and every customer for every brand. So one of the other tools that not very many brands are taking advantage of right now is using this confirmation page as real estate to be pitching offers here as well. People are going to be coming back to this page quite often, checking on the status for their orders. And it's a great place to be pitching them other products. It won't be a one-click upsell, but an upsell nonetheless, great place to get extra conversions. People might reconvert. <laughs> Uh, so head on over to reconvert.io to increase your average order value today. Casey, how often do you think that like the adjectives you use? So like, for example, I said lovely. I, I described you as lovely. Do you think the adjectives you use, like, do you use different? Well, like, cause at, at its core, that just means like good looking, but they're like a lot of like hot, beautiful, pretty, uh, do you like, do you change the adjectives you use based on the person you're describing? Uh, I might not be understanding the question fully, but like, yeah. would you describe your significant other as like hot? Eh, like probably. you mean, yeah. regardless of who that person is, just like certain, certain things in my head, I'm only going to use certain words for is that right? Yeah. So, so like you said, not a lot of people have described you as lovely. Cause I'm like, I think there's maybe like a mm -hmm. specific female connotation with the word lovely. You yeah. Know, you're pretty, you're man lovely, you know, but it's, no, just, you know, I'd use other words. You know, okay, I got I got a good one here for you then on that note. So the word attractive, I think, is interesting because mm -hmm. the word attractive means that you think... That's like, like a catch-all. Well, like to somebody, it means you think they're attract... Like, you know they're attractive, but probably you don't actually think they huh. are on a personal level because you, if you were to like, oh, she's attractive, you know what I mean? If you really... You wouldn't say that. But really? if you're like, oh, no, she's attractive, like, you'd be like, objectively, I know attractive enough but like you, you wouldn't you would use a different word if you felt that way you know what that's I mean? interesting yeah see you i know? feel like i think the opposite if i if i'm saying someone's attractive it means it almost means like the opposite like oh wow. i think they're attractive like i you would hold be, that one back i would be attracted to them but now that you're saying that i'm like no like that's how like if if my wife was like Oh yeah, she's so cute. Like we're watching a show or something like that, and she's talking about some actress. I'd be like, she's attractive. Yeah, that's exactly how I would say. It's because you know that means like that means other people think that, not me. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying like right objectively. Of course, I have eyes, but you know, I'm not. I'm not attracted to her. 
have you heard the take that the word nope is when people want to tell you no, but they're also happy about it? Huh. So give me, can you give me a, like a contextual example? Yeah. Like, uh, Hey John, did you, uh, like, did, like if you were talking to like your, your kid or something and, and they were potty training and you were like, did you poo poo in your pants today? They'd be like, Nope. Nope. Uh, you know, okay. like something like that, but you yeah. wouldn't, but you'd never hear somebody go like, well, unfortunately, nope. Yeah. Like that's those <laughs> that's two words true. don't go back. To you that. never, you never use nope in like a, yeah, I know it's a, it's a bummer, but no, nope, there's not any. <laughs> yeah, right. you say like no, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it, that 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 hard p sound, like uh, the hard p sound, makes it inherently happy. Right, right, right. I think right. it's because p's are also in the word happy. That's my theory. Yeah, like if my if, working if, theory that I just created right now. Yeah, it's it's good. We don't need to science. test those theories. Yeah, yeah, science. Um, talking about speaking of testing, did you mean to do that transition? Ooh, I didn't. I don't even think I brought up testing, but I guess I did. We did we I didn't mean them. to. No. Yeah. Speaking of testing and theories, uh, testing is what we do a lot of in marketing. Uh, but I wanted to hit on. So, so you and I, because we're from this background of e-commerce and, and direct-to-consumer, we have this tendency to like really talk about paid media a lot, right? Like, or we talk about organic, but from a creator's perspective, right? So we're like, right. are you a creator? Are you a media person? Or like, are you a brand? If you're a brand, then you're running paid media, right? Like, it's like either in our in our brains, it's either like you're either advertiser or you're publisher. You cannot be both. That's un that's ridiculous. Right? Come on. Um, but it's not right. Like we've even uh, we've even had. Lewis from Patrick Adair Designs on who, uh, when they launched their brand, they, like they thought they were published. They just thought they were YouTubers, and right. you know the way that they were monetizing was with these things they were creating on their YouTube channel. And turns out they made a whole bunch more money doing that than they did, you know, from any other YouTube, like any other publishing revenue. Uh, so that's called content marketing. Uh, so it's, it's, it, there's this strange crossover of like, there's like creator, there's marketer, and then there's content marketer. And, mm -hmm. you know, like that's, that's a whole vein of marketing. So we're going to talk about, uh, all the creator stuff we talk about, like social platforms and, you know, all of that stuff, how, how to create content, um, that does well, but more from the perspective of like a business. If you're a, Ooh, that was a little monster coming back, uh, we're not going to edit it out, though, because we don't edit things. We feel like we need to be genuine with our audience. So we're going to talk about more from the perspective of a business. Of a business. Uh, nice. I can't and, wait. And uh, like if your goal is business objectives, like getting leads and sales and stuff like that, as opposed to just like getting people to look at you. Um, so first up, I want to hit on three platforms that I think that you should focus on specifically if like it's content marketing, right? So content for the purpose of getting, you know, eyeballs, of course, but down, down funnel, you know, you ultimately want to those eyeballs to convert into leads, sales, customers, that kind of thing. Um, so I got, we got a couple, right? I'll go first and then you can go and then I'll go. Sounds good. Yeah. It's a little, little back and forth action. A little, it's like a snake draft, but with only, maybe, two we, maybe we double team the last one. It's actually not like a snake draft. It's a back and forth. It's That's literally true. not a snake. Uh, you want to double team it? Just Maybe Eiffel, you want to. You just want to Eiffel Tower the last one, just straight. Well, the, 
the last one you know I'm passionate about too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. All right, all right, all right. Um, okay, so first one I hit on the unsexies here, but here was the thing. Like I think is I'm thinking about content marketing. Uh, a lot of people are talking about TikTok. I mean, that's like probably like TikTok, I Instagram. It's, those are the two, and I think maybe also I'm a little biased because we're in uh, e-commerce and direct to consumer, and that's where they go with it. Um, mm -hmm. Or they think like the the I think the one place that e-commerce people like accept content marketing is like oh yeah write blogs on our on our site so that we get organic traffic from Google right like that's like about as far as they go usually um, mm -hmm. I'm going a different direction with it I'm going newsletter and the reason I'm going newsletter is because it's already it's like such a small such a light lift really for an e-commerce brand to launch a newsletter because they're typically already doing email marketing. Right. And, and there's some platforms, I mean, like some of the common email marketing platforms for e-commerce aren't really the best newsletter platforms. So if you really wanted to do it upright, you would use a different tool, but you don't have to, like you could just, if you use Klaviyo, your e-commerce brand, you could just do it in Klaviyo. I'm trying not to be too e-commerce-y here, uh, but I, this, this is something we see a lot of SaaS companies doing. Um, there's one that we know really well. I think we've had him on the show before. Uh, Chase from Pencil.ai just got acquired. He has a newsletter. Triple Whale has Whale Mail. You know, they have a newsletter. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of SaaS companies do it. And then the other people who do it are our info product uh people so uh cody sanchez who uh is her newsletter is called contrarian thinking she sells courses and in info products about how to invest in like boring businesses like laundromats and uh self-storage units and stuff like that right so it, it like it works really well in info because it's like you opt in for info and, and i'm not talking about like Oh yeah, you build your email list and then you sell them stuff. I'm saying no, you're like the newsletter is content for content's sake, right? You're actually mm -hmm. teaching, you're you're either informing, educating, entertaining or inspiring within the newsletter itself, right? Um either by creating that new content or curating content. Mm -hmm. Uh and so yeah, like for Cody, it's, you know, you opt into contrarian thinking. Contrarian thinking is this newsletter where she talks to you about like different ideas around investing. Um, and then, you know, if you like it, then there's other courses where you can learn more about how to invest in these kinds of businesses and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm big on newsletters here. I'm bullish on newsletters. Uh, everybody gets it, I think, except for D to C SAS gets it. Uh, HubSpot's got newsletters, uh, info gets it. Uh, I mean, maybe enterprise, whatever sales doesn't get it, but D to C specifically, I think that there's an opportunity there as well. Um, so like, for example, uh, we kind of know the brand I work with as a, a fractional CMO is Ondar. Uh, Ondar does, sells a lot of products that uh, go along with your tech, right? So like phone cases and um, just things like that, like cases for your AirPods. So tech accessories, I think those are called. Is that a category? Tech accessories? Tech accessories. Tech accessories, right. Of course. How could I, how could I forget? You are uh, forgiven. Yes, thank you. Uh, tech accessories. So uh, they've started doing stuff on Instagram. They've started doing these tech tip re reels where it, it and they're like legitimately interesting. It'll be like a did you know you could do this with your iPhone? Like, did you know you could do this with your iPad? And they're like most of them. I'm like, I know I didn't know that. Like, and I'm mm -hmm. I'm not like I'm not maybe like the most like I'm not like a tech YouTuber over here, but like. I, like I'm, I'm pretty up to speed and, uh, most of it's like, that's pretty cool. I didn't know you could do that, but uh, I still don't know how people just auto screen record. I know that's like a two click operation and I still right, don't know. The yeah. Right yeah. Yeah. So it's stuff like that, like where they would just post IG reels and stuff like that. 
like tech tips could be a newsletter for sure. It could be a newsletter and it works really well for something like Ondar because it's like, yeah, we sell bags that you can carry your tech in. We sell cases that go around it. Like it's very complimentary. So the reason they like doing that content is because they're like, oh, it attracts iPhone users and iPhone users typically like will buy nicer cases because they have nicer devices. And that's like a large portion of their, they make Android stuff, but a large portion of their users are iPhone. Um, so yeah, or I, iOS in general. So yeah, newsletter works all across the board. I mean, if you want to see some SaaS examples, I said some earlier, earlier Triple Whale, HubSpot, uh, Pencil.ai, if you want to see some info examples, uh, Cody Sanchez is a good one. Um, I'm sure there's like so many more. Oh, uh, Thomas Frank is a good one. Uh, yeah. Like they have a newsletter. That's just a newsletter for, you know, content. Casey, I've like, I'm monologued there. That was a, you could dirty dog. You caught me monologuing. <laughs> yeah, to say? I sure did. Well, uh, I think there are some reasons why maybe D to C doesn't quite get the newsletter play quite as much. Yeah. You know, you talked about info for a second and I think, Inherently, there's something about like info in particular that comes yeah, to mind. Info like, to info. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, hey, do you like to read? Like, I mean, just. <laughs> yeah. Do you already want information? How about you buy more information? Yes. Right. Like I could. And, and this will come up. Uh, not no, Spoiler alert. But like this will come up. You could have uh, the same media essentially or the same piece of media across different mediums in just different forms, like natural uh -huh. to that environment. Yeah. And it's going to attract different people, even though the content technically is the same. Like there are going to be some people who are just hard out on reading. That's yeah. just, that's a barrier they're not crossing. And yeah. other people, that's their preferred method, you know? And those two people, you know, again, we aren't talking on an individual basis, but in the broad, like sweeping generalizations type of like demographics type of way, those people have meaningful differences, like as to who they are as a, yeah. as an avatar to you. So, so yeah, right. I mean, again, if you're if you're that that uh, info brand newsletter makes a lot of sense, and maybe that maybe there's something there that I can't quite triangulate with the D to C type of thing, because uh, I, I do think there's something a lot more reactive and yeah. impulsive to D to C buying, and there's I wouldn't say that subscribing and reading to a, a re reading a newsletter is like especially. Uh, reactive and impulsive decision making. Well, I think about it more like this. And this is that's why D2C doesn't do it. And I, I think there's a whole topic around why direct to consumer and e commerce brands are so what they're so behind in the world of content marketing. And maybe there's like certain niches where they're not so behind, mm -hmm. like maybe pet or like whatever. But like so yeah. many of them are so behind in the world of content marketing. If you look at literally any other industry agency like most of the leads come from content marketing usually uh sas you know info like all of the other ones really lean pretty heavily into content marketing and and d2c they kind of are like oh yeah like we hire some guy from you know fiverr to write blog posts for us and that helps us get more organic traffic from google right it's, right. it's very transactional and i get it because it's like they sell hard goods so they have these like tight unit unit economics. So everything about it is very much like, you know, very transactional. Um, yeah. But but I think that's a miss. It's honestly a miss early on. And that early on, you have to be transactional. You have to get a good ROI from your marketing. If you're one million dollar, two million dollar under brand. Yeah. I mean, even five million or under brand. Uh, but a lot of the ones that I think break through uh, later, 25 million, 
50 million type brands are the ones that start like building brand in a meaningful way. And content marketing is a pretty good way to build brand in a meaningful way. And I think newsletters are. So that's what I mean is that it's kind of like, it's an extension, right? That a tech tips, a tech tips newsletter isn't going to sell on our products, but it's a pretty good place to like put an on our advertisement. And if you own it, you don't have to pay for that advertisement, you know? So right. it's, it's just, right. I think it's like kind of a natural way to kind of like build your own, build your own platform instead of having to rent them all the time. Yeah. And this just hit me too. But uh, one of the reasons why I, I, I guess I would agree that there's probably an opportunity there for DTC brands to start their own newsletter and, and kind of get into that medium more is because there's kind of a, a course correction of the times from medium to medium. Uh, if you think back, you know, 10, oh, yeah. maybe even 15 years ago, like what was your Facebook feed? It was largely something you curated, right? Yep. And your email inbox was, you know, it was just filled with whatever, you know, and you, yeah. you were all, you already developed that skill super quick because email had been around longer, how to avoid emails. You, you just don't even see them, the emails you don't actually want to open and read. They don't right. even exist to you anymore. You know, you scroll right past them. You don't notice them and you don't think yeah. about them after you close that app. But your Facebook feed was something that you had a lot more control over. You saw more particular stuff like for you. So you kind of gave everything more of a chance and, and you could extend that to other social media too. But now we know that like, certain reach and, and, and certain interests, things like that are throttled in the algorithm so that there's kind of a different balance going on between those things. And mm -hmm. maybe, maybe an equalizing effect uh, is what I mean. Like you don't just automatically uh, your feed is a little unexpected now on social platforms, I would say. Yep. And there's, there's more of a uh, let's just swipe through this stuff similar to how, you know, 10 years ago or so you would just scroll right past a ton of headlines yeah. or uh, subject lines in your inbox and not even see them. I think we've kind of, evolved to that level on yeah. other platforms as well so now like because of just the amount of volume on all those other platforms and how so many brands did abandon or never start that email newsletter type of route yeah maybe that means that there's an opportunity there i don't know that was a long thought but yeah 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 i mean i think that like maybe a good way to go about this if you're an e-com brand is think about like if a newsletter existed about this, then I might advertise on it because they would probably have my audience, even if it wasn't like directly related to my product, right? Whatever it is, you have a weight loss product, you have a, you know, like you don't have to start a newsletter about weight loss, but like who's your main core? Because there's a lot of different people that weight loss is, is relevant to. Like some weight loss products really like their target demo is like, you know, men who travel a lot, like we actually worked with a fitness product that like, that was one of the main buyers was men who travel a lot because they could travel with it. Whereas some are like women, you know, uh, in their late twenties to mid forties who have like kind of had a child or like they've just, you know, put on weight. Wine moms. Weight, they don't, yeah. Wine moms. Right. Uh, so it's like, who would have your audience? What, if there was a newsletter that had your audience, who would it be? Like maybe even look into advertising on newsletters and then be like, Oh, okay. Now start that one, right? Like, or start, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to be a direct replica, but like yeah. start, right? Start, just start something that is content that your audience would be interested in. And I guess part of the reason I'm saying this is that I think a lot of times when people think content marketing, they really think like, oh, it's very top of funnel. And then eventually people are going to buy and that's why they don't invest in it. But I'm like, well, think like a media person. A media person is like, anytime I create any content anywhere, I would like to make at least a little money on it, right? Like, even if I make most of my money doing something else, I would like to make some money on it. And the reason I like newsletters is because they monetize really well pretty quickly, right? So yeah. as you're building that newsletter, you can use programmatic things like Live Intent um, to, to place ads in it. You can uh, use partner tools to like 
you know, partner with other newsletters and refer subscribers to them and, you know, for a payout or whatever, uh, and have an exchange where you do the same or something like that. Right. So like they monetize really well, like pretty early on. And that's, that's actually, I think a main tenant of like our, our next one as well. Right. Yeah. So for this next example, I'll be able to speak a little bit more from experience. Uh, and, and I'll, I can even tie it into the newsletter too. Uh, so the next example we have here is podcasting, which obviously we are podcasters. If you're we're big, big this, podcasters. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. Grain of salt. We're definitely biased towards this medium. For sure. For sure. And uh, yeah, for a long time, even I would say. But uh, similar to a newsletter, you know, there are there are things that are similar to it. And I think that's why we have them filed under these categories, this category of, of platforms you should focus on. Um, podcasting also monetizes pretty well. Uh, yeah. early on like it's one of those other like programmatic types of things you can just get right into yeah uh, and just, just to be clear when we say programmatic what we mean is like everybody's familiar with like ads that run the pre-roll ads that run on youtube everyone knows that youtubers get paid for those uh the other platforms have that same thing so newsletters there's some there's some tools like live intent where they can put ads into your newsletter for you you don't have to go sell it they'll just put it in there um podcasting has the same thing but many podcast hosts will just p place ads on your podcast and they'll do a rev share with you um and and on podcasting specifically the the payout that like pay per download is it's it's much higher than it is on many and like much higher than google adsense or the youtube pre-roll much higher than uh a lot of other ways that like content creators can be making money so that's kind of what we mean when we say that it monetizes quite well even just for growing the podcast right right even early on similar to the newsletter yeah. also similar to the newsletter at least in my thoughts uh because it is something that I'm doing more nowadays. Uh, it is, it's kind of a hack for creating content for across yes. other platforms as well. Yeah. Uh, so actually, you know, on our sports podcast, there's, we just launched a, a new newsletter and yep. a pseudo new podcast. It's kind of a, a, another podcast we're doing from the same podcast feed, uh, right. which we are planning on separating, but, not quite there on that that end yet but actually the flow i have for that is i write i i, I get up or i do it the night before maybe and i write a, a newsletter on the topics that i will eventually be talking about that newsletter goes out in the morning then i podcast about those topics yeah. so i basically already have my thoughts laid out so you know if you make any kind of content around like podcasting or any kind of video content really um unless it's live you you might be aware that like you don't get all of it in one take usually you know right. a lot of times it's it, it can be kind of a hamster wheel so when you already have your thoughts all the way laid out i gotta say that i usually do kind of get get what i need to on film in one take which is a huge like yeah. boost to uh to just creating content and the fact that you could i mean and that's just me taking a, a newsletter that i made and bringing it to podcasting just almost uh, reading it honestly Right, exactly. And then from there, I could take that that stuff I said on a podcast and I could, you know, uh, tidy that up into a graphic and post it on Instagram, you know, or, yeah. I, or I could just take a video if I'm shooting it, doing a video podcast, I could just clip it out, put it on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. Or I could just take like a quote that I like that I said, maybe I just said something a particular way, you know, that I'm like that I yeah. nailed it with that. I can go and I can put that on Twitter, you know, because that's kind of more like a, a, a Twitter native uh, type of type of piece of content yeah so there's there's a lot of things you do and i started with that newsletter as the example just to try to tie it into your last example 
but you yeah. could skip that whole thing entirely. You know, a lot Which of people, is what we mostly do. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. A lot of people, they just show up to a podcast and they're ready to talk. And I would say that, you know, if you again, if you're all doing it in one shot and you're doing like a long form podcast, not every single word you say you're going to love. But there's going to be a lot of opportunities within an hour long piece of content where you can grab some of those snippets for whatever, you know, whether it's text based, image based, video based, whatever it may be. Uh, yeah. You're going to have a lot of options for what you can grab and tweak and repurpose for other formats uh, on different platforms. So it's 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 got a lot of uh, splinter ability. I, you, I will put it this way. In 30 minutes of discussion-based podcast, you create a ton of content. Like verbally, you've said a lot uh, at that point. So so again, like it's it's, I mean, from a practical standpoint, you could use an AI tool. There's one called Summarize. Uh, I think it's a Google Chrome plugin. Uh, there's Opus. There's like different ones that'll transcribe YouTube videos or whatever. You could use an AI tool to transcribe that and edit it down into a newsletter, right? So you could start yeah. a podcast, go to a newsletter, totally. and then you could also just turn some cameras on, right? It doesn't. They don't. It doesn't have to be beautiful, but you could turn some cameras on, take video, and then now if you do 30 minutes or an hour, like you probably got 10 to 20 reels in there maybe more honestly uh yeah, you've yeah. got you've got plenty of ig reels you got plenty of tiktoks so i i like podcasting because it's like it's a good base medium to then be able to like really create content across every platform with really minimal lift and when it comes to video in particular what's maybe the most common type of video content out there in the world just generally speaking no particular uh, length of you know duration of video uh, reaction videos are huge and right. assuming you're not doing a solo podcast there's going to be a lot for you to react to just in a regular conversation between two or three people uh, which we do a lot of that and yeah it's no surprise to us like there, there's some kind of crazy reaction every 10 minutes or so probably because so, you don't know what the other person is going to say or bring up or show you and the way you react to that those genuine uh genuine reactions are tough to recreate yeah. And they can be huge, especially when considering this next point I'm about to bring up when it comes to having guests on, yeah. you know, sure. I could, I could say something outrageous and, and I could have uh, at John J. H. Coyle react to it. And that could be a clip. Sure. But if yeah. we happen to land, uh, you know, a really well-known guest, you know, we've had, uh, we get, we get it when we get it. Show. You're talking about when we get Elon on the pod. Yeah. When Elon's on, you know, if yeah. I said the same He'll, thing, he's going to make his fourth appearance here pretty soon. So, right, right. Parallel <laughs> universe type of stuff here. Like if I said something to you and made you react and it was a cool mm -hmm. reaction, that's awesome. If I say that same thing to Elon and he reacts in just the exact same way, no offense, John, but it's even more, it's way more yeah. awesome because that, Slightly. that in and of itself is like now a piece that we own, a thing that yes. we can use repurpose everywhere. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, that that's a two-parter because I kind of skipped over the fact that like you're building a network by having guests on your show yeah. all the time, which podcasts are great for. It's a very common format. A lot of people get it nowadays. They know what it is. They know what to expect. They feel pretty comfortable just jumping in without a ton of context. Like, yeah, no problem. I'd love to come on and talk about that, especially other people who are already in media, super yeah. receptive to that. And then like I, like I said already, if you do happen to get a, a bigger fish 
and then something actually happens, I mean, you have all of the makings for like a viral video, yep. uh, an explosive piece of content on some other platform. As well. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing that I think is maybe under like, uh, so, so two points I'll make, uh, I wrote this actually in our, in our modern creator newsletter today. Right. So if you're a creator or content marketer, um, you should subscribe to that. It's moderncommerce.live slash creator. So moderncommerce.live slash creator. Um, I wrote this. So I said, number one, here's, here's why I think every, every creator should podcast or every content marketer should podcast. Number one, you can punch way above your weight in terms of collaborations. So everybody wants to be asked there. Like people like to be on podcasts, even your dream creator, right? Someone who would never accept collaboration on in, on an Instagram post, somebody who you'd never be able to get uh, on a sale, you know, a sales call or whatever, right? Like everybody, like everybody likes to podcast. Most, most everybody, we are rarely turned down. Now, given there is some level where we can't punch up above our weight like right. we haven't gotten elon on and we probably won't at least for a while right uh right. but you can punch way above your weight i'm i have four thousand twitter followers i've had somebody on the podcast that has one hundred and seventy thousand. uh our, our sports podcast has a hundred or it has like 1300 instagram followers we regularly like we have reoccurring guests that have a hundred thousand two hundred thousand ig followers so like people are just down to be on a podcast and uh, even so those people that they don't have to say it out loud. You can pick up on it right away that they're like, Oh, this is, this is like something, uh, I don't want to say special, but something yeah. like this, this feels big, you know, because yeah, everybody and- it's, it's normal to feel that way when yeah. you're like, Oh, it's, these There's are my actual thoughts. It might be, we do it live. So that's part of it too. Yeah. But it's something separate from, curating an Instagram feed and, and making graphics. For there's that. a vibe created when you get into long form conversations with people, like there's a bond, right? Like, uh, you yeah. know, like they say, they say one of the things that bonds friends together is like shared experiences and like specifically shared, like meaningful experiences. Conversation is a big one. And it's kind of a lost art. Like not a lot of people have conversations every day, like that are, that are meaningful in any way. So, uh, yeah, that's a big one. So, so another reason, and, and like that big creator that's way too big for you, or that big influencer that whoever, like someone who's totally in your niche and has your audience, and that you you can get them on the pod even when you wouldn't otherwise be able to get through them to them anyway. And when you repost the content and tag them and what it, do, that's normal. Like they expect it. They expect that that kind of clipped content is going to come out on TikTok and on Instagram and on Twitter and stuff like that. And they're gonna sh- and they're sharing it. Like that's their. Ex- they expect that where they normally wouldn't reshare any of your stuff. Another hack here, and this is what we did with the agency, is have your ideal customers on your podcast. Now, I'm not, there's a whole world of podcast funnel now where it's like they try and have people on the podcast just so they can sell them. You know, don't get that crazy. And especially if you're, uh, you know, a, a, a D2C e commerce marketer or, you, you know, obviously you can't have customers on your podcast one by one. Uh, but yeah, have ideal customers or collaborators, right? So if you're if you're an e-commerce brand, you know who would you love to do a like a cross a product collaboration with or a cross promotion with? Um, you know whether it's an influencer or whether it's another brand, you know have someone from there on your pod. Uh, if you're a SaaS tool, have someone from you know a, a really big key client account on your podcast. Uh, if you're an info 
marketer, have someone who has your audience, a, a good person that you would love to have promote you on your pod. Uh, pretty easily, you know, it's just an easy way to make a good intro. And then like you're there, that person's kind of in your circle now. Um, so that's a big, good, big one. That's kind of how we grew the agency, uh, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. Podcasting has made a difference yeah. in our podcasting careers. Yes. <laughs> That's a good one. So I, I will give one more example here because I think this one's lost again on D2C market. I feel like I'm like just shitting on the D2C marketers today. The e-commerce brands don't, they're just not heavy in content marketing. So let me give you another example here. I'm going to use Ondar again. I gave you the example of like an idea of a tech tips newsletter. We don't do that, by the way. Um, but one thing we are doing with Ondar is we are launching a podcast. Uh, so Ondar specifically uses a lot of brand ambassadors. So uh, people who aren't fully influencers, they have small followings, but they love the product and they want to get a commission for, for posting about the product. Um, and they also have some influencers. So with Ondar, we're actually creating a podcast where we bring some of the biggest we bring big influencers from different platforms on. So our first episode, uh, we've got, you know, someone from TikTok, the TikToker who has like 800,000 followers on. Um, and we just talk to them about being a creator on that platform and how to grow and different things like that. Just stuff that will attract more brand ambassadors. So two things there. One, we're attracting brand. This is the uh, both things in action right here. So we're attracting brand ambassadors and those are exponential people, right? Because those people buy some stuff from us, but they also sell to two or three other people. So those are exponential audience members, you know, and again, we're not selling on there. We're not sitting there talking about Ondar. We're talking about what they're interested in. And two, it also allows us this medium to reach out to some of the influencers and social media creators that we would really love to work with without having to be like, hey, what are your prices? Because that's normally what you have to ask them to reach out to them if you're an e-commerce brand. Um, and and where we can just ask them like, hey, we have this podcast about you know being a creator and, and growing a following and stuff like that. We would love for you to be on it. And then they're coming to the Ondar headquarters and recording this podcast with us that's kind of brought to you by Ondar. And, and now we have a relationship with them, you know, on the marketing team. Oh. So, yeah. When you, when you do have such, when you do have such a transactional approach to, to content, meaning like each piece has to be worth its own weight and value, basically, or otherwise we shouldn't have made it. Yeah. Uh, that's that a lot of times you can end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater uh, with that kind of mindset. So, Something that comes to mind here, it's not it's not exactly relevant to to this exactly, but it reminds me of the talk with Josh Snow way early on in the Modcom yeah. podcast. And I think it was actually uh, before we had him on in a conversation that I just will never forget. It was a, uh, a particular collab he did or, or talking Mayweather. about the biggest collabs he did. Yeah, Floyd, Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather. Uh, Gronk, other ones. He talked about those ones. As in, like, they don't need to ROI necessarily. And that sounds crazy because those are the ones he's spending the yep. most money on. And we're not saying they didn't, but he, he looks at it as an easy decision because they don't need to ROI on that big thing. And you go, how could that possibly be the case? Well, the cool factor of Floyd Mayweather or, or Rob Gronkowski or somebody like that is, yeah, you're going to make some sales based off of it. So it's not going to be a, a total clunker probably. But what it does is it draws in, is this boulder that you drop into this yeah. pond and it creates all this gravity and and the and it just makes all the the pebbles the smaller influencers those micro influencers or uh yep. people who could be good brand ambassadors for you they see that and they go well i want to do that for that brand now too so yeah. you just get the effect of all these people wanting to do it maybe taking lesser deals than they normally would or just it's just 
promoting buzz around yeah. everything you do. And if you looked at that just one to one, was this worth doing? Did we ROI on this uh, directly? Maybe the answer is no for some of those bigger deals. Yeah. But at least in Josh Snow's mind, uh, the indirect effects are way, way outweigh the uh, the, the cost of, of landing somebody like a Floyd Mayweather or Rob Gronkowski. Yeah, have I ever, have I ever told you the, the story about uh, like signing a deal, signing, uh, I was a semi-professional athlete after college for anyone listening who didn't know that. Casey, I know you knew that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did I ever tell you the story yeah. about 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 like how I signed with the shoe company that I signed with? I'm not sure. Refresh. Yeah. Me. So I, I signed with, uh, I, I was looking at offers from Brooks running, which is like a really reputable running shoe company um, right. and Skechers, which is not a very reputable rule. And it's Skechers. Right. Like, like you just chuckled when I said it, like it's Skechers. They're not a reputable slip ons basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're not a reputable shoe company in any category. Um, Skechers was offering me more money, uh, but I legitimately would not have taken it. Had they not had the current, had they not had someone running for them who was the current U.S. champion in the marathon and a former Olymp Olympic silver medalist or Olympic yeah. bronze medalist, yeah, Th like that they had, they had one exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have taken the money because I'd have been like, it's Skechers. Everybody will laugh at me. Like, right. uh, also, I had have no trust that your product is good, even though they sent me sample product. And I'll be honest, like they definitely didn't have as good a product as Brooks. Uh, but it was usable, like it wasn't unusable. Uh, and and they had met, right? Like they had that guy who legitimized the whole thing. And they signed a lot of guys like me doing that. Uh, a lot right. of guys about my like about like my level they signed doing that. And it was a great great like, and then they just they just leveled up, right? So one <clears throat> one big like well-known person that endorses your brand can bring maybe sales. Yes, they can bring sales, but also that person can bring a lot of legitimacy to your brand. And podcasting is a great way to meet that person. I couldn't agree more. There we go. All right. Next thing, this is one you wanted to tag team. Um, so you take the front, I'll take the back. Uh, the is is youtube so tell me why content marketers at brands should be focused on youtube well especially if you subscribe to the point we just talked about which is podcasting really really tiny lift to turn an audio only podcast into a video podcast yep. which everything every point we've made thus far i think even to the newsletter uh how you can repurpose stuff and and, and take the essence of one thing and, and use it somewhere else that all becomes true to like to a whole nother degree when you have a video podcast yeah. to pull from. Uh, because like we said, if you're going to clip something out, you know, like sure you can clip out audio, but how many times have you heard a, an audio clip somewhere other than like an audio platform? You know, you're not no interruptive place. Is that going to really have the same effect as a video that goes right along with it? Sure. You can use something, yeah. but it's, it's, it's not the same thing. So, uh, I would say the main reason why you should be on YouTube is because you should be doing some of these other things anyway. And it's really not that much harder to just make it a vid uh, a YouTube video style podcast because everybody yeah. is aware of what YouTube already is. It's not some new like path you have to, you know, you have to build a road to everybody knows where YouTube is. It's good. Yeah. It's decent for, I, I don't want to take whatever else you want to say. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it to you and we can, 
uh, whatever you, you don't say that I have left to say all. So I heard somebody, so, so from a content marketing perspective, what is my goal? I need to get, uh, I need to just get in front of my audience, right? I need to get in front of my audience and I need to do a couple things. I need them to become aware of me first. And then I want to build some kind of affinity with them second. Um, uh, because, uh, it, what that eventually leads to is, is likely more sales and, uh, and leads. Okay. So think about YouTube as a platform. Somebody said this to me the other day. No, they didn't say it to me. I think I heard it on a pod. So, uh, I think I heard somebody say there are people who are famous YouTubers, right? Mr. Beast. Right. Uh, you could almost count Joe Rogan, right? Like, I mean, that was where his podcast started. I, most people call him a famous podcaster and he was he was already kind of famous before that but like youtube is what really made him joe rogan um sure. right so you got mr beast you got joe there are, there are people who are like you call them youtubers you call them the platform right like it's like the kleenex of platforms uh they're creators that's what they are but like they're famous for being famous on that platform are there any famous instagrammers I mean, you think of like Instagram model type of people. There's Instagram some that are, yeah, there are some that are right. well known for sure. And like when he said that, I'm like, eh, I mean, I can think of one who like it's her only platform and she's pretty big. But like we're talking, she has a million and a half followers. Right. Mr. Beast gets 20 to 30 times that many views on every single video. Like yeah. not like famous, famous, you know, the numbers um, are insane on YouTube at the highest level. Right. Hundreds of millions it, of views. And that's that's every platform. No, no, there's no famous Facebookers. There's no famous Twitter. Pe like there's people who've gotten big there. Like, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of market on every platform. But mm -hmm. but but again, everyone is on YouTube. So it, if you're thinking about places to run a content marketing strategy, YouTube is a good place because you're discoverable by your market there. They are there. Number one. Right. And number two it's an incredible way to build affinity quickly in a seven minute video, eight minute video, 15 minute video, even a five minute video, you can really quickly build a lot of affinity, right? So you've got discoverability and affinity in this one quick spot. Now, YouTube is not easy. There's a lot of people trying to crack it because of everything I just said. Um, right. So, you know, not don't take it lightly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, light lift to do a podcast and then not that much light, more, that, not that much more lift to clip your podcast up into shorts and not that much more lift to clip your podcast up and edit up a five or 10 minute segment. That's really good content from it, you know? Um, yeah. And then you can get into totally YouTube native videos where you're informing, educating, entertaining, or inspiring, you know, and creating content that would just be attractive to your audience. So yeah, I mean, I'm more or less on board with YouTube. And then again, you know, like wherever you're, wherever you're first, right? So, so what I would think of is like, where's our like first creation point in content marketing? Like, is it the newsletter? Is it the pod? Is it YouTube? Is it Instagram? Right? So for Ondar, it's Instagram. And that's actually kind of making it challenging because it's like, this is one that's like very specifically designed to be like beautiful photos and stuff. But uh, where's your, where's your first creation point? Then, then kind of rotate from there right so if your first creation point is youtube and you're doing this thing where it's like oh yeah i'm gonna break down you know this thing that will be interesting to my audience right so if you're triple whale i'm gonna do a breakdown of uh you know how this e-commerce brand grew 500 percent year over year for the first five years right pretty easy to turn that into a newsletter Tra again you know same thing i said with podcasts transcribe it create a newsletter out of it pretty easy to like extend it even into a podcast right uh in or just put it on the audio you can 
put it on the audio platforms and it's not the best. It's not meant for it, but it's there. Right. right. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of like my wrap up to this whole thing is like, like, find what's your first creation point And then how does it like branch into the other creation points? Yeah. And I would say uh, particularly for YouTube, because you mentioned how it is competitive. And I agree. YouTube is an extremely competitive environment. But YouTube has always been that, if you think about it, yeah. uh, in a way that not everything has been. You know, I think, um, you know, not to go down a, a rabbit hole, really, but like TikTok popped up. That hasn't been around that long. It's yeah. pretty competitive. But I would say that kind of lessened some of the competition from like Instagram, because, again, getting your time machine, there was a time when Instagram was life. You know, like yeah. that was like by far the cool platform to be on. And now that's at least up for debate. And yeah. it, it, that that splintered across a few uh, same thing with Facebook. I mean, wow, we got to go back even further for that one. But there was a yeah. time when you're like, I can't believe I can go on the Internet and find my friends and meet new friends. That's crazy. Whoa. Oh, friends that they're friends with from their new city. And Who's now it's guy? basically and you could boomers who they were into the void. Right. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's a whole other thing now. But YouTube essentially has remained the same sort of thing that it always was. So it's it's competitive. But I think similar to the newsletter uh advantage that i pointed out earlier i think that the shiny object syndrome has gotten certain creators to go other places and yeah. focus more on tiktok or instagram or or facebook wherever they they might be but youtube's always been the constant and the platform itself has some notoriety that, that yeah. the other ones don't you know what you're what you bargain for when you click on the youtube app yeah you're gonna be watching some videos you know when you when you swipe through Instagram, you don't even know that that's the case. You might see pictures, you might see videos, you might see all different kinds. You might see you know all all different kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah. YouTube is a little bit different in that way, and it's it's a little bit more of a given. Like, hey, these people are are, are creators, and they're they're trying to you know make something you would like, as opposed yeah. to other platforms. I guess sometimes it feels like people are making stuff like for their own feed. I don't know. I, I think so. So. Uh... Yeah, I mean, a couple things, uh, a couple kind of closing th thoughts on YouTube. One, if you want a, like a really great example of how somebody is using YouTube for content marketing, I brought her up earlier. I'll bring her up again. Cody Sanchez. So it's C-O-D-I-E Sanchez. Uh, she's got like six or six or 700,000 uh, YouTube subscribers. Um, she does not. I mean, I think she probably gets money from AdSense, but she doesn't sell like she doesn't do brand deals. She doesn't do anything like that. She just promotes it's it's a cycle like the the youtube newsletter cycle right so she creates youtube videos and she promotes her newsletter in the youtube videos and then on her newsletter she sells her products right like and and the newsletter it's content in and of itself right and then she just has advertising spots for her products or she naturally brings them up where they make sense right um and that's that's the cycle. YouTube is discovery. New, newsletter is uh, discovery and affinity. Newsletter is continued affinity and monetization. And it's like a really good, simple content marketing cycle. Now, she does it on all the platforms, TikTok, Instagram, all of them. But it's, you know, like it's a, just a really good like cycle of content marketing that's simple and it's really executable for any business, even if you're a phys physical product business um, and it's, it's visible, right? So you can see other companies that are doing this. Um, it can work with podcasting too, right? So it can be audio to newsletter uh, and you can make the audio YouTube, but like YouTube is already, they're there and it's active. A lot of times people are, you're between people's ears when you're podcasting. So they can't actively do something. Yeah. Um, Last point I had was don't yeah. underestimate the power that 
YouTube, when people go there, the, they also are more aware they might be signing up for a longer experience. Yes. Yeah. So you, you, you can do so much more affinity building in an exactly. hour long video than you're ever likely to do in a 60 second TikTok. Yeah. You know? And so. yeah. And the last thing I was going to say is like, uh, most platforms don't have the balance between discovery and like audience, uh, ownership down very well on a social level. Now, ultimately you want to own, own your audience on an email list or a test text list or something like that. Uh, but like, for example, TikTok your follower count matters very little, right? Like, you, you know, it's all it's all a content meritocracy where you could have a thousand followers and get a video that has a million views. You could have a million followers and have a video that has a thousand views. Stuff like that doesn't really happen on YouTube, right? Like if you got a million subscribers, every video is going to do decently well. Uh, but if you only have a thousand subscribers, you still have a shot to have like a video that pops off and does does really well, right? So they've they've kind of got that meritocracy between like if you make great content as a small creator, it can really pop off and you can get a lot of discovery. And once you've built that audience as a large creator, we're gonna go ahead and make sure we show it to plenty of your audience. You know, and maybe some videos will still do better than others, but they're they're gonna they're not gonna just ignore the fact that you've built an audience. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. Should we move into a couple content marketing platforms that we don't think you should focus on as much? Sure, man. I'm into it. Hopefully we have less to talk about on these uh, because we're like, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Like, so I, look, yeah. and let me put a big disclaimer on this. I actually think in an ideal world, you do content marketing on every platform. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to call them. I'm going to give like specific examples of like, Here's where I think you shouldn't focus on this. Here's the situation where I think you shouldn't focus on this platform. And that might largely be based on where I see people focusing on that platform when they shouldn't be. So the first one I'm going to call out is Instagram. And there's a, there's a plethora of reasons with Instagram. Now, look, again, not saying Instagram is a bad flat platform, not saying ignore it. But there, here's a couple things about Instagram. One, it is... Uh, it, it, it's like on the other side of TikTok in terms of discovery, right? There are some discovery elements, but a lot of the features of Instagram, like stories, uh, photo posts, things like that, they're really like very specifically meant to just be seen by your audience, right? So it's, it's more of a closed environment. Um, it's also a notoriously like, it's notoriously bad at paying creators, right? So if you start to build on YouTube and that's your kind of discovery mechanism for your content marketing, you're going to make a little money on the way in. Now, look, the main way you're going to make money is still going to be your pro selling your products, but you're actually going to get a little bit of that YouTube money on the way in, which is nice. Instagram doesn't do that. It does not monitor, like it's all discovery and it's already like not a great discovery uh, uh, platform. So the reason I see a lot of brands focusing on Instagram and again, this doesn't happen as much as in info, or if it does, it's secondary. Like Cody Sanchez does have a big Instagram following, bringing her up a lot. There's other examples too, but like they, she does have a big Instagram following, but it wasn't, I don't think it was her first place, right? Like it was like, oh, I started doing that once I had some other stuff going. Um, it gets it gets the first and primary attention a lot of the time in e-commerce. And usually it's because the e-commerce brand is running ads on Instagram and Facebook already. And so then they start to just do organic on Instagram and Facebook um, so that like their profile looks legitimate. And there's that's fine. But making like putting forth an actual content marketing effort and making your profile look legitimate are two different things. You can legitimize your profile without having to put forth like a legitimate, like a big content marketing effort. Um, so yeah, I mean, Instagram, I'm going to say it's like, rarely would I say that should be like the first platform you should be pushing your content marketing efforts on. 
no matter what kind of business it is. <clears throat> yeah, I think the devil is in the details I mean, on this one. Can you, yeah, like maybe I maybe give me an example where you think I'm wrong. Well, I, I was just going to agree with you first, uh, but sure, I can do that. Uh, but, but but first, to agree with you a little bit more, uh, yeah. I think it's particularly the way that this is framed and the way it's phrased, right? Like, yeah, mar content marketing efforts, right? Yeah. Again, like you said, in a perfect world, you're you're hitting on all cylinders. You're everywhere. Every every yeah. platform, you're doing everything perfectly right. I think specifically what we're saying here is like, right, don't don't avoid IG, but IG might be a better spot for some of that just like branded material, which yeah. I don't know. Not everybody agrees, but like that's in in my opinion, like anytime I put marketing into something, I'm I'm looking for the ROI. I'm looking for something to like pay off. And in our experience, like stuff that's overly branded isn't exactly the best marketing materials. Yeah, uh, Instagram not might be a really great place to send people like once you've already got them on an email list, once, like to build more brand affinity. For right? a like, lot of brands I actually out think there. that like if you've got them on your email list already and you're starting to build some affinity, if they follow you on the gram, like you might get a lot more affinity from them. I'll put it like this. We've done a lot of agency work and, and just kind of like work for higher stuff with brands. Yeah. Uh, I think that a brand book, a lot of times from those brands to make sure that you're doing everything by their branding it's almost redundant as long as they have an Instagram for a certain type of <laughs> yeah. thing. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like, their Instagram I, already has the vibe. Did yeah. you just screenshot the like last like your grid? Like, because that's basically what yeah, it that's, is. When they that's their board. mood board. Their mood board is like this is basically your IG. Exactly, grid, yeah. and I think that that's actually like in our time and agency and being so ROI focused again. It, like, maybe we almost don't see the forest through the trees a little bit. Yeah, because that is an important piece, but I wouldn't necessarily file it under marketing. So. Again, to your point, IG might not be the most content marketing focused platform for sure, although there is content that matters. Uh, but yeah, use the right weapon for the right the right tool for the right job, right right yeah. weapon for the right job too, I guess if you're trying yeah, yeah. to cause damage. But yeah, uh, but okay, so for instance, like- Yeah, 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 Say, t tell me I'm wrong. Like, yeah, give me an example where I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I think that this one, and do you mind if I just break into the next couple uh, platforms as well that we yeah, have yeah. in this category? Sure, yeah, we yeah. can start to do because think that by the best example would kind of be between all of them uh so in the same category where you probably shouldn't focus most of your most of your content marketing efforts um we also have linkedin and twitter yeah uh, I'll, I'll stop there and uh, because particularly linkedin and twitter they're not going to have the same reach there's just not as high user yeah like rate as an ig uh, or facebook or even a youtube uh, it's just, it's not going to be the case. You know, Twitter seems like it's all that matters if you're on Twitter every day, but as soon as you step away, you realize like, I think only like 60 something percent of people even have a Twitter account, much less like are active on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but what those things are good for, and I will kind of lump IG in with this one as well is for niches. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn, of course, obviously like B2B as well. Even Twitter, like you have your, your, your Twitter's popping. Yeah. Twitter is kind of like was the kind of starting point for all of our organic efforts. So, yeah. And um, I would just lump IG. But it's in a with niche, that, right? It's a business it, niche. Yeah. Right, right. And that might be kind of where uh, we talked about like the the IG influencer. You know, maybe the, yeah. the heyday of the IG influencer is over. But like, where did you go to to get business, business contact info for an IG influencer you might want to work with? You know, right. it's a niche to go find like a certain type of thing and B2B in that way where essentially they're acting as a business. And if you're a yeah. business who wants to work with them, that's where you go to find them. So there's a discoverability in that way. 
but yeah, again, not not exactly. That's not really content marketing, but it is still signaling out to like potential partnerships. So I yeah. guess that's the closest I can get. Yeah. Now thinking about it. Okay. So if I'm going to try and contradict myself here, um, I think maybe if you were selling something in the travel, like something to consumers, so let's say e-commerce brand uh, or or some kind of travel brand, right? Like, I mean, maybe even like a tra- like an Expedia or something like that. Instagram might make sense. Yeah, Instagram might make sense then, right? Because it's it's pretty big in the travel niche. A lot of those IG lifestyle influencers are doing a lot of travel. So if you have kind of like a travel marketing page, like a travel page where you're just like, it, it could be a sourced page where you're pulling a lot of stuff from other creators so that you're growing that way and stuff like that. And like, it could be kind of like an Expedia sponsored sort of travel page or something like that. I could see that doing okay in being a, a worthwhile content marketing effort if the lift was light. Um, we also know somebody who uh, in, in cannabis because you can't a lot of times advertise in cannabis or in THC. And I think you can, you know, CBD and cannabis, it's, it's gotten lighter. But when, when he was building, he basically just like started a, an IG meme page uh, and grew it massive. And then most of those people didn't buy, right? But like some of them did, right? But it was, it was just so big that the law of large numbers allowed him to actually make it a, you know, a legitimate sales channel. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely, there's certainly exceptions to the rule. Um, Another one that I just thought of and kind of going along the Ondar example here is like, you know, if we are going to do this podcast uh, that kind of appeals to creators, I think that, you know, uh, clipping it up into IG reels might be a big part of it because a lot of the creators, a lot of the brand ambassadors that drive a lot of results for us are Instagrammers, right? And they're not big, but they're driving two, three sales every time we, every time they post, right? So if we can double, triple, quadruple the number of them that we have, uh, then that's big. So like taking that podcast clipping it up into Instagram and reaching more brand ambassador creator type people actually could be like a pretty worthwhile effort. But the initial like net new content effort actually happens somewhere else, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. And to your point, sorry, I didn't, I need to like give you a second to talk, I guess, but to your point on, uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, I'm going to group Twitter, LinkedIn and TikTok all together in, and this is the grouping. They're worthwhile platforms to focus on if you're in, if they fit for you, right? So YouTube, podcasting, newsletter, I can pretty much, I can pretty much recommend that to everybody. Another one I can pretty much recommend to everybody would be blog, right? Like actually just creating online written content for, you know, to try and get organic traffic. Um, I can't say that I would recommend like, you know, launching a content marketing effort on Twitter or LinkedIn to every brand. Like most e-commerce brands, not going to be highly relevant to you. Now, however, if you are DraftKings or a sports brand, or if you're selling something in the crypto space, or if you're B2B, then Twitter and LinkedIn are actually pretty worthwhile platforms. And maybe even, maybe even ones you should look at before YouTube even um, in that space. If you're super mass market, um, or, vi- or like your audience is, uh, like, like really viral in, in nature, right? So CBD, like, you know, CBD or, or cannabis would work on TikTok, right? Where it's like, yeah, you can get a lot of massive reach with funny videos, you know, for that audience, funny videos for stoners, um, on TikTok. And yeah, like, so it might, that actually might be more worthwhile for you than YouTube to start. So, so those three, it's like, I can't recommend them for everybody, but in 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 some cases, I would almost recommend them even more than some of our other ones. I, I don't think I would recommend 
I don't think I'd recommend anything over a newsletter for, for anybody. Like that's like kind of a one, what I think everybody should be doing. Um, but yeah, like for certain brands, LinkedIn, Twitter, or TikTok could be a bigger initiative than YouTube. Uh, just simply because it might be easier for you to get traction there faster. I agree with you, John. And I'm going to elevate this now to the next level where maybe we won't elevate agree so much. We will see. Put it in the um, Our last topic of the day. And I think just for context, in my mind, this falls outside of content marketing proper into like all content. I don't okay. know if that's how you yeah, yeah. understood this prompt. Uh, but the question that we'll be talking about is how, quote unquote, authentic should you be on social media? We have it in quotes uh, because I think wrapped up in this is like, does it have to be actual authenticity or could it be kind of perceived authenticity? Right. right. All, I think we all kind of know what that would mean. But like catering to your base, maybe might be a good yeah. way to like catering to the base is it would be the political terminology, right? And I'll go out on a ledge first, so that because I I know that I can say whatever, and even if you needed to like do mental gymnastics to like take another point of view, you that's would true. just yeah, just for I'm the really content. I'm really good at arguing for the content. Yeah, that's that's it's it's one of your uh, one of your best talents, John, for the content, for the content. All right, so I'm going to take the stance that. But by that definition, I just said, I think you should be authentic or maybe I, I mean, yes. And no. okay. you should be Hot authentic. Take. You should be authentic. If what that means is you should be trying to stay on brand to your base. You know, oh, I guess I kind okay. of broadened that, that. So in a sense, you're like, you should cater to the base a little bit. So in another way, I guess I'm saying you should be inauthentic. But also, if you are a brand, this is where oh, it gets yeah. So because it's content marketing, this the, the episode's about content marketing. So it right. gets a little bit easier to say like, of course we should be like your strategy in content marketing should be to create content that attracts. Like in in a sense, it's almost like easier for you to do it when you're a brand, okay. uh, and and then you know whoever it is that's creating that content that works at the brand, it's almost like well, it's your job to create content for them, not to create whatever kind of content you want to create. And that's um, kind of where it comes to mind too. If you're a brand, what does authentic even mean? Because yeah. if you're if you're a company of forty people, or even way smaller, yeah, take it down to four people. The odds yeah. of you sharing opinions on every single topic and and sharing values straight across the boards between even four people, essentially zero. You know, yeah. I, that's my personal belief. So to be authentic is kind of a a range. Uh, you know, it's a spectrum. How authentic am I being? You could say something you wholly don't believe in. Yeah. And I guess I'm I'm saying you you shouldn't do that. that that's kind of what I'm saying. Um, the example that comes to mind, and I think maybe this this is kind of the example we need to nail down the actual stance that either one of us might have on this yeah. topic. I'm gonna bring up Bud Light because there's okay. pretty pretty famous now boycott going on. Without putting Ooh, any, we're gonna wax a little polit political here. Yeah, well, to not put any of our, uh, not put too many of our own opinions in on this, I think right. it's a pretty objective thing to say that Bud Light seemed to make an interesting move in right. some of their partnerships. You know, uh, mm -hmm. to, in their own words, they're trying to to break out of their base. They're trying you wanna, to maybe just attract quickly, a new audience. You want to quickly right? summarize the? Yeah, essentially, for somebody who doesn't uh, up to speed on this, yeah. Right. There's a controversial partnership between Bud Light, who has, you know, for uh, 
I, I, I don't want to misspeak, but for a while, let's just say a while, nice generic term. Yeah, for a, for while, a while, they've been the for number a while, one. A minute. They've, for a while now. Yeah, for a minute. Uh, Bud Light has been the number one beer brand in the country, in the U.S. Yep. Uh, they just recently fell to number two to Modelo. Uh, that, that happened within this week of shooting. This happened right. in the last seven days. Uh, so kind of a big deal. Or maybe not. Up to you to decide. But that happened definitely in part due to this partnership that sparked a ton of controversy between Bud Light and a uh, transgendered influencer named Dylan Mulvaney. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, you know, again, not putting my politics into it, but as I understand it, Bud Light's core, you know, buyer group, their main avatars that didn't vibe with them very well. There's a, a lot of political reasoning behind it. But for whatever reason, they don't mesh well with this particular influencer. And I think it's I think that's kind of the uh, the last straw that breaks the camel's back. I think it's been a this this kind of thing. They've been going this direction for a long time. And now I no longer agree with the brand. And I'm taking a hard stance. Yeah. Uh, so some of their biggest buyers no longer purchase their product. Hurt their bottom line. I'm going long on it. But that's essentially the cliff notes on that. And yeah. I would say in that circumstance, but like kind of did the wrong thing. Uh, you can call it authentic, call it inauthentic. I don't know. Yeah, which I mean, way to label that, it so anymore. that's a great example of like, what if you as a brand and all your team members as a brand, like that was like kind of one of your core beliefs was like, whatever you want to call it, you know, I don't want, again, I don't want to get political, but whether you want to call it inclusion or openness to that, like progressive, like that's one of your core beliefs. And, and that's like authentically you as a brand and it represents you and your team really well, you know, but it doesn't represent what you sell. Uh, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't vibe with your demo. I mean, you got a decision to make there, right? Like it's like, well, you're already kind of like selling to a whole group of people that you don't agree with. Right. So mm -hmm. you, should you make content for them or should you make con like the kind of content you want to make? And this is at, at the individual level. A lot of creators feel this, right? Like for example, right. a lot of times I want to talk about something on Twitter. I know it won't get any engagement. I don't really want to talk about morning routines, but I know it will get engagement because people freaking love that shit. So yeah, I mean, I get like, that's what I mean when I say authenticity is like, sometimes it's a degree off like, all right, I got to talk about this other stupid morning routine thing because people love that instead of talking about like something I think is really important, but just people find kind of boring. Um, right. You know, where here we're talking about like a big extreme, like kind of, do you feel this way or this way? Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of comes back to the core question is how authentic should you be? Right. And I guess, uh, you know, you, you've given me a pretty good definition of uh, commodities in the past and, and just kind of different business models. And so is Bud Light, if you're Bud Light, you have to ask yourself, are you the brand that's going to try to you, you make a beer and you try to sell this beer to as many people as possible? Yeah. That's What's one way to look at it. And, yeah. and that might seem obvious. That might be like, duh, that's just good business. Why wouldn't you try to sell the most as possible? Well, at a certain level, it gets more complicated than that. But mm -hmm. the main reason why not is because Bud Light and Budweiser They've cultivated an image, you know, mm. so that's why the authentic, inauthentic language kind of breaks down to me is like, yes, it would be authentic. Of course, it's it's a good business model to try to sell beer to everybody. But certain business models actually are more like we make beer for these type of people. Right. You know what I mean? We and, and forget beer. for We make sh shirts for, you know, if uh, I, I wear shout out to True Classic Tees. Basically, yeah. they make good fitting t-shirts for chubby dudes yeah and i'm a chubby dude and i'm like hey that's awesome if they started changing all of their their branding to like skinny models types of like you know 1990s fashion <laughs> like, models, i don't think like, these shirts are for me 
Yeah, I'd be like, even if they were the same exact shirt, I'd be like, hey, man, like this feels like disingenuous, maybe inauthentic to yeah. what I perceived as your branding. And that's why it resonated with me. So, again, I, I, I'm, I'm making the authentic word useless here because I'm seeing it from both sides. But that's how I think the yeah. Bud Light drinkers looked at that situation. You guys are actually being inauthentic here. And it's so obvious you're just trying to go after more market share. And that doesn't rub us the right way. So and then even in the other the other mindset. Let's just try to sell as much beer as we can possibly to whoever. Did you just shoot yourself in the foot by kind of looking away from your core demographic and trying to reach too far and you just didn't understand the playing field well enough? You know, yeah. I think either way at this point, uh, at least in the short term, it's been an objectively poor move. We don't have no idea what happens in the long that term. If this is a great out. idea, 10 years, five years from now, but in the short term, it has hurt them with both their core base and their, their bottom line. They're, they are not, in fact, selling more beer to more people. Well, so so this is a, okay. So let, we're gonna move off the Bud Light thing, but I do want to say this. No, we're not. No, I'm just yeah. Kidding. <laughs> uh, I do want to say this. Bud Light's a publicly traded company. A publicly traded company's primary responsibilities is to its shareholders. That's like the technical. It's a law, right? Legally, their primary responsibilities are to their shareholders, not to whatever you know interests or core values they have as a company. If they but have, you can still have uh, strategies within. You can have strategies. So, so, so authenticity for a public tra publicly traded company is, you know, what is going to be the best thing for our shareholders, and that is going to be, you know, whatever is the best thing for our top line, bottom line, right? Um, or whatever is going to make our stock price go up. And it, it, look, it could have been a risk. You can take risks. So they might have thought, like, hey, look, we're going to try this, and we think it's going to be a popular move. Uh, even if it's unpopular with some people, it's going to get any bad publicity is good. You know, any publicity is good publicity. And it's going to yeah. get us publicity and this will make our stock price go up. They could have thought that they could have been a play. And I, I'm not knocking any marketer who tries something right. Like that's I'm good with testing. Majority right? of the time, that simple math is accurate, too. Right. Yeah. Any publicity is good. So I'm not knocking any marketer who tries something and, and takes a risk, is especially if that risk was signed off on. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I and that's just looking at it from a pure business standpoint. Politically, I'm not you know, I'm not either going to lean either way on this. I'm just saying as a marketing play, it's like, hey, at least it was big and at least it got eyeballs. Right. Uh, there was that. What Was it good or not good yet to be seen? But, you know, objectively in a short term probably not the best thing for their shareholders. Their stock right. price is if, a little bit If you were trying lower, to look so. at it subjectively, I would I would urge you just to give me your subjective take. If you were a shareholder pre pre this this Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think that if I'm the head of marketing at, at Budweiser and I'm saying our authentic self is is a brand, I have to disconnect myself from this, right? I have to disconnect I'm I'm looking at the and that's kind of what I just tried to give you is basically saying like okay, you know, what do we need? Like what, what, what is it that I think we need as a marketer? You know, we need eyeballs and this stuff that we've been doing to, to like really cater to our core. It's just, there's nothing that we're, we've hit the ceiling there in terms of like leveraged eyeballs. Right. So maybe we need a publicity stunt. Okay. So that's what I'm saying is like, is it the best thing for the ship? You know, maybe it was a risk that didn't pay off, but right. I could see myself making the same call. That I guess that's that that was the, the distinction I was looking for, though, is you're still speaking from a, like if you were the marketing manager, mm -hmm. managing person, CMO there. But like, yeah, well, you have control over the situation. If you're just some minor shareholder, 
it's easier to say, hey, what were you guys even thinking, right? Like, I, think and it is, I think it is easy, but I think I just see it. I'm like, oh, it's a publicity right. stunt. Maybe it didn't pay right. off, but right. like I could see myself making the same call. I would have been very upfront about it. Like, look, guys, we're taking a risk. You know, like, uh, am I putting my career on the line for it? No. You know, if you guys don't want to do this, fine. But here's a publicity stunt that I think it's going to get us eyeballs for sure. Right. So, uh, yeah, like I, that's what I mean is I, I think that I'm not necessarily, I think it's easy to just say like, Oh, obviously you offended your core and your beer sales are going to go down. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, but look, I could see myself making the play if it's like, we need eyeballs and eyeballs will make the stock price go up. You know, right. I could see myself making the call. One more question on this lane. Uh, I think we both agree that the landscape has shifted quite a bit since like, you know, mm -hmm. multiple generations ago at the very least, right? Like you just said, no publicity is bad publicity. At a certain point in time, I think that was largely true, 99.9% yeah. .9 true. I think in today's world, it's less true, <laughs> like per occasion. Uh, maybe maybe it's still 90% true, but that's, that's it's quite a reduction really, you know? Um, I, yeah, to a degree. Well, I this, always this wonder. Is my, this is my question. Let, let me frame yeah. it for you at least. My question is, do you, I guess, I'll start there. Do you believe that it has shifted since, you know, the 1950s, let's say? And do you think that it will continue to shift? Or if it has, have we kind of reached somewhat of an equilibrium and we all kind of get the new rules of the game, you know, a la cancel culture type of stuff like this? I or in authenticity kind of is a big factor. I always wonder, uh, I always wonder about cancel culture because... Uh, I think there's, you know, if like a platform actually bans you, that's one thing. So that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about like, you know, canceled by the masses uh, type of thing. I almost always right. wonder if like, does it actually just get you more visibility when you get canceled? I'll give you an example. So uh, some like really smaller kind of niche creators uh, in the like internet marketing community uh, pulled this stunt really. So uh, Dan Henry, and I can't remember the, the woman he, and this is like now a bad example because I can't remember her name, but I had never heard of her before, before this. Um, so they did this thing where she was like, I'm going to try and get canceled. Uh, and she started out really like, you know, kind of mild and stuff like that. I'll, I'll link it up in the, cause I feel bad. I can't remember her name now, um, but I'll link up the video uh, in the, in the description um, of the podcaster and of the description of the YouTube. It's really good. So uh, she starts out doing some kind of mild stuff, doing like, like semi-controversial tweets, like pineapple shouldn't be on pizza and stuff like that. Uh, and then she just gets progressively more and more um, until she goes to this park with like some like kind of, uh, controversial statements on signs and she starts yelling these controversial controversial statements the police get involved there's like some kind of the, the details are very unclear but like the de there's some kind of altercation she gets ends up getting arrested for assault because there was like this person and she's like people just don't know what's going on and i can't tell them and like there's this person who was like really being aggressive to me and stuff like that so she gets arrested for assault that all happens she's like uh she sells courses right uh mm -hmm. that all happens and Dan Henry, who's got more reach than her, realizes it, notices it, and he gets the mugshot and the arrest record. He screenshots and he, he posts it. Uh, and so he's like, hey, have y'all heard of this? Like, like, look, a lot of his audience had heard of her. And like immediate cancel culture. Like people were just like, I can, what is, they didn't even know what happened, but they just knew this lady got arrested for assault, right? Um, and like, she was like, I mean, I like, she was like made this video about it where she was like, I couldn't like, could not believe like people I'd never even heard of were like, I can't believe you would do that. Like, how did, did you even know about me before? And then right. other people were just like, yeah, don't listen to the haters, whatever do you right? Like this. So some people are on her side. Uh, 
turns out it the whole thing was a stunt. She did not get arrested. They photoshopped it. They did all of that. Like she was basically seeing like, you guys had no context. Look how easy it is to get canceled. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I see that and I'm like, yeah, look, emotionally, that was probably really difficult to deal with all that negative feedback, but you're on my radar now and I had no idea who you were before and how many people, how many other people's radar are you on that I had, that you had no idea about, that had no idea about before. And some people just come out of the woodwork supporting you blindly, right? So I always do wonder about cancel culture. Like, does it really, like, I think sometimes it gets people more famous than- I, I- I honestly don't think that's a hot take at all. And I yeah. think this is actually a great way to, to start wrapping up this conversation because I think anybody who's being objective, they would have a hard time saying that getting canceled actually lowers your visibility, at least in a, sh a short-term type of way. Yeah. Um, I think it massively increases your visibility because, yeah, you're everywhere. Yeah. But uh, right along with all the, the value we've given on this episode, the things that, that we say are important, those are the things that are actually harmed. Your ability to monetize, you know, yeah gaining a potentially from the people who are are seeing your face more and more much harder to do it's going to hurt your networking there's going to be people who just don't want to be uh you know Associated. involved with you like it's going to hurt all of these wonderful opportunities that we've laid out already that all these different uh you know content marketing channels can do for you that's what what i would say is really the drawback not Oh yeah. no, your visibility is going to plummet. Potentially, I, I think you just have to be aware of the risk if you're like going to get risky with your content at all, totally. as a creator or as a brand. Uh, because yeah, it will it'll limit it'll limit you from some people. Some people probably saw that thing; they never realized there was this reveal that it was fake, and they're just like, I don't know, she's some criminal lady trying to sell courses, uh, yeah. and they'll never buy anything from her. Uh, other people probably saw it, and they just they had the Celtics re reaction to Paul Pierce getting crunk on the live stream they're like I, dude I, I vibe with it i don't know yeah. right like yeah. so so like other people are probably like i mean look i'll probably buy her course now like she's out right. there freaking throwing down like i kind of like this chick um there's some creators who probably don't want to collab with her now and there's others who are like i'm in i like you right so yeah. like i i think uh it, it probably like gives you more affinity like it just it splits it in half or whatever the 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 you know ratio is so i mean right. back to the question the question was about authenticity right uh and how authentic should you be i think the the general advice i would give if you're a brand doing content marketing is authentic for your brand has nothing to do because what happens is people's interests change over time and this is what happens to creators is like I've been talking about this thing for years. I'm no longer interested in that thing. My interests have changed. And now that content feels inauthentic to me. And now there's a fork in the road. What authentic could even mean? Right. That, you know, but for my audience, that's, that's what they want to hear me talk about. Right? right. So, but as a brand, it's like, that's not what it is. Like all the interests of all the marketing team and the people at the company could change. For the most part, the, the advice I would give you as a brand is like, it's not your interests. It's not you know, what you authentically believe, like it's bigger than you. It's this brand and the brand is kind of really defined by what the audience thinks, what's authentic to the audience, right? Like that's right. who you have to make the content for. And that's what I would say most of the time. Now, look, can you take a big shot and try and do a publicity stunt and go against the audience? Sure. You could try. Uh, yeah. It's your call. But I, I think that's kind of the big difference between a brand doing content marketing and creators where it's like, this is a me thing. And now me is no longer this, you know, but you guys right. all see me as this. Yeah. I guess my, my last, uh, my, my final statement on this, and then I'll let you go ahead and wrap us up uh, would be that this is all a spectrum, regardless of whatever you want to label it as, you know, authentic, inauthentic, 
you know, on brand, off brand, all different kinds of things like true to you, whatever. Yeah. Uh, it's all a spectrum. And I don't think we're advocating like this is exactly where you need to live on this spectrum. I think mm -hmm. what what is probably the most responsible thing from my point of view is to say, like, be aware that there is a spectrum and try to uh, try to objectively know, like, where you're attempting to to play within and 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 maybe just know how you're trying to operate within yeah. this and and try to make informed decisions and and yeah maybe that means taking a big risk there yeah. can be a, an informed decision that says take a big risk but what would be a terrible move i would say every time out of every time if you're taking a big risk that you don't realize is a big risk i think that's a oh yeah, yeah oh yeah don't insane. yeah be yeah you got to be you got to uh, measure twice and cut once when you're doing content right. marketing as as a company so um you know because you don't get a shot it's not like ads where it's with ads a lot of times it's like ship it we can test it afterwards right like we can mm -hmm. test something else afterwards it's not how it is with it like i how many youtubers wish that they could a b test their thumbnail you know but that's just not how it works how many youtubers wish they could a b test that first 30 seconds of their video that's just not how it works like right. you measure twice cut once and you send the best thing out there you possibly can um and and that's for any kind of creator but specifically especially if you're doing content marketing at a brand i'm going to put one more little bit in here and that's just a tactical thing that i think content marketing at a brand it does work in a faceless way um, right. Like, especially I, th I think this got big when blogging and, and like, you know, written content was king is like, you could kind of do it in this faceless way. But I think today in 2023, um, one of the biggest challenges around content marketing for brands is they're like, well, what content do we make that represents the brand? Because like, who do we, like, who do we put in it? What do we like? I, at the end of the day, I think honestly, you need some people with faces. People connect with people. And, and when it comes to content marketing, if it's video, if it's podcasting, if it's newsletter, whatever, like you need some people within your company um, that, that others will identify with. And sometimes it could be someone outside the company for sure. But I think the companies that are doing it best are the ones that are using internal people within their company, right? Triple well, they basically have a company full of this group of influencers that are like, they work there, but they also just talk about e-commerce all the time on Twitter and on mm -hmm. their newsletter. And they write for the newsletter together and they get on YouTube videos together and they do do all this stuff and i think that actually works a lot better from a content marketing perspective but again as a company what you have to understand is like you can't be over diversified in in them or you can't be under diversified in them because their individual creators and their interests might change right so they might not really want to create content about that thing anymore in two or three years and if you just have one big one uh and they don't own part of the company you know they might move on uh, so you have to have maybe either a few creators or you have to have a dancing monkey who owns your company, right? Like one like of Ryan your Reynolds. Yes. Yeah. One of your, <laughs> like a Ryan Reynolds dancing with his thing. Right. So nobody uh, knows what he actually thinks about stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so if they have equity and they own part of the company, uh, I actually think that, you know, probably one of the trends over the next several years is that every company will have a dancing monkey as one of its owners. Right. Is that like their yeah, whole yeah. job is to just kind of be a creator and be out there creating about that topic. Um, and yeah, maybe they change interests over time, but it's like, they're still an owner. They still have that responsibility. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, one more thing I would say is that I think that companies need to think about content marketing and more in terms of like, who inside our company could do this, right? Who's, uh, who are the faces that we're going to put to this? Because um, I think that's going to work a little bit better. Casey, you got a parting it. shot at all? Oh, I'll, I'll do a little bit of one just because I loved what you just said there. I think that was essentially it. In a, you know, first of all, in an episode just chock full of all kinds of content, news and, and value and, and strategies, uh, 
we end on this segment that we call either a debate or or a hot take. I think we started it out trying to be more of a debate, uh, but I actually want to jump on that hot take of yours. I think that that's a, that's a great hot take for the future that more and more companies will probably have some sort of dancing monkey might be a little bit derogatory, but yeah, I think some kind of figurehead uh, who is better at portraying an image than they are at operating any level of business within that business. That's a great way to put it. Like they're a creator and there's other people operating the business. Right. But that's good um, news for the creators out there. Oh yeah, it is. right. Oh or yeah, it is, right? Like you might be able to leverage your creator f- following into actual equity in companies, which is the I'd even go as far I'll, I'll double down on your hot take, go super hot take. I would go as far as to say is that brands that do jump into that mindset more it, it will be they'll replace the current like Yep. Top dogs, maybe Status if quo, those yeah. ones re- refuse to do it. I don't think because I think, uh, you know, I think something like Bud Light, like taking the big swing. I think maybe yeah, they hit, maybe they uh, missed. But, but that a Ryan Reynolds beer brand might. It might exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly my thing. I don't think it'll be these uh, these things that have been propped up for a long time. I think inherently they kind of have an identity of their own that. Yeah. If Ryan Reynolds jumps on board. You're like, huh? What yeah. I mean, it would have, it would to, have to be this big match. thing where it's like, oh, Ryan Reynolds just bought Bud Light. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Is, right. Yeah. So, so it, yeah, no, I mean, I I agree, and I got the I got the dancing monkey thing from uh, another podcast. They were like, uh, every company's nice. gonna have a dancing monkey. So it was it wasn't my original. It's not that's not my IP. That was I think uh, marketing. So I'll, I'll shout them out since I used it. That was marketing school, and I think it was Eric Sue who said it on marketing school. Like, what's up, company. Eric? Yeah. Liked it. Uh, all right. Well, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play or any of the other podcast apps, please uh, give us a five star. The five star is it actually doesn't help with your rankings. I learned that last week. It doesn't help with your rankings, the ratings and reviews. So I'm not going to perpetuate the lie. I'm not going to perpetuate the lie anymore. Anytime you hear a podcaster say it helps, it doesn't help, but it, it does like there's in audio, there's like this not feedback loop because you're probably freaking working out or driving right now. So I don't know what you think about this. So the five star just like helps validate like, hey, you're making good content. Or if you give me one star, okay, I'm not getting, I'm not making good content. So rate and review to give us the feedback. It's very helpful for us. Uh, if, you're, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell icon. Um, we're going to be dropping videos, episodes, probably two, three times a week. So uh, lots of content. Lots of the sweet, sweet content. Casey, anything else? That content nectar. The, love it. The juicy content. Ooh, ooh, I love it. <laughs> I don't think we can end better than this. So I'll just part ways with the audience by saying goodbye. Bye.